0: From 1011 now and the 1011 studios in Lincoln, Nebraska. Adrian fights off the blitzer now trying to weave his way through. He's gonna pick up the first down. What an effort! 40-yard line. Adrian in the 50. Adrian in the 40. He's off to the races. 30, 25, 20, 15, 10, 5, down at the five-yard line. What an effort by Adrian Martinez. This is the N Report Podcast. Set throws down field pass. Caught through Ray at the 45, 40, 30. 20, 15, 10, 5, touchdown Nebraska!
1: Thank you for joining the End Report Podcast. I'm Bill Schammer, joined alongside Kevin Suits and Eddie Messel. Back-to-back wins. Nebraska wins 28-3 against Buffalo. They were two touchdown favorites. They win by 25. Kevin, your impressions?
2: Nebraska played better than I expected them to. The defense, in particular, we've been high on this uh, unit all season long. You could tell that the experience really helped them, and they never wavered. I didn't get the sense that Nebraska was panicking at any point in that ball game. Even considering, you know, the Huskers and the Bulls were stuck on goose eggs for quite a while, but the Huskers just stayed and that's the course. What we
1: we kind of differed last week. I thought Nebraska would come out with a, a strong first quarter. It, it was back and forth you know, 0-0 zero, zero for a while, uh, and as you said, the Huskers didn't panic. Eddie, you saw the all-22 view for most of the game, standing on top of Memorial
3: Stadium filming for us. Uh, what were your takeaways? My takeaways were the defense continued to help them, you know, stay in the game. I think overall the offense needs to get going a little quicker, and running the ball needs to be, a key for them, especially against a team like Oklahoma coming up here next week. But overall, if the defense is able to keep playing like they are that super experienced unit, I mean, they, they are fun to watch. They fly around. They hit people hard. A lot of big hits uh, against Buffalo. But yeah, defense was the biggest takeaway. Other takeaway is, need to get the run game going like they did against Fordham.
1: You know, the Huskers won by 25 points, but I feel like a lot of Husker fans left that game very meh. It could That could have been... F- 42 to
2: 3. Well, they had three touchdowns called back, and two of them, you could make a pretty significant argument that they were not good calls. And I think that's one of the frustrating thing, things for the fans on Saturday was, yeah, they still won the game, but they didn't get credit for a couple of fun plays to watch, quite frankly. Samari Touré was wide open on what would have been the first touchdown of the game, mm-hmm. and it was basically a rub route that the Huskers got flagged for, and it was on the opposite side in which Torre caught the pass. Uh, and Scott Frost was not, not shy about voicing his displeasure. He, about, even
1: today, after he rewatched the play. Yeah.
2: I, and if you go back and watch it again, Bill, I'm sure you've probably seen it a few times, you almost have to watch it four or five times just to say, where is the penalty? And you really have to look very closely and away from where the action went to see where the flag came in, and it's still very debatable. And then the one, you know, it's interesting, the last touchdown that didn't happen or didn't count was by will nixon Mm -hmm. the game's already done nebraska's on its final possession they could have knelt the clock out but they were running plays because they want to get more game action for some of the reserves like logan smothers like will nixon and did that play ultimately determine the outcome of the game far from it but scott frost still was very animated and still very vocal about the call that was He's made very
1: prideful of how you run the option Yeah, and, and, and that was ran well i mean it was even on the replays i don't see how you can call that a forward pass
2: no nah, i i don't either you know because btn's broadcast had about five different angles and they slowed it down where the ball came out of the hand so for those that uh, don't know it was deemed an illegal forward pass so it can't go forward it wasn't even lateral. It was behind mm-hmm. the line in which the horizontal line in which the pitch was made. So, again, Scott didn't have to take an issue with the refs on that because it wasn't going to determine the outcome of the game. But because I think you make a good point that it's an option play and he wants to make sure that they get credit for a successfully run option play. And then secondly, in a way sticking up for these reserve players that are trying to still move the ball down the field you know, Will Nixon the has not. On the field matters. Yeah, Will Nixon has not seen much game action this season. Three weeks into the Huskers' 2021 campaign, and he's trying to make the most of it. So Scott advocates for those guys, and it's almost like Nebraska just every game. There's a call or two that, to the naked eye, it looks like it's an incorrect call, and so there's got to be a frustration coaching staff's perspective, that maybe they just feel like they just don't have some good juju with these officials, and something always goes against them.
1: Let's talk about the plays that did count. Three plays of 65 yards or more for Nebraska, including two 68-yard touchdowns to, to Samari Toure, who with Oliver Martin out is clearly Adrian Martinez's go-to guy. Um, I think there was some hesitation that when Toure came to Nebraska, was this going to be another kind of Ianoa situation? A lot of hype, somebody with a lot of experience who didn't exactly plan out. I think we found quite the opposite. Yeah.
2: He is more Maurice Purify than kind of i Noah. That's a good name to throw out there because uh Conovainoa kind of came from Cal and had a, a serviceable career at Cal. And everybody thought that he would quickly become the go-to player for Nebraska at the wide receiver position. And he was about the fourth, fifth, sixth option when it came to receiving options uh when he played that one season here. Samari so Torrey has proven he is every bit of a Division I Power 5 player uh, that he could be. And there is legitimate NFL potential for him. He's got good speed. He's got great rapport with his quarterback right now. And, and he's got pretty solid hands, too.
1: Good hands. Great route runner.
2: And Torre, by the way, you know, Nebraska does have an extra game up on the other Big Ten opponents outside of Illinois. He leads the conference in receiving yardage right now. And I know a lot of people could look at that stat and say, "Well, it's unfair," but he's over 300 yards through three games. That's pretty good. That's a pretty good spot to be in. Uh, and it all comes out in the wash when the season is done. And I wouldn't be surprised if Samari Torre is among the top five, if not top ten, players in the Big Ten in receiving yardage.
1: Eddie, the other big chunk play came on a really a busted pass play where Adrian Martinez scrambled for 71 yards. I mean, Husker fans have not seen. A play like that, playmaking ability like that, in a long, long time,
3: um, and that's one of those runs that Husker fans are going to remember for a long, long time. It definitely is. Me and Kevin talked about when we were watching, rewatching the highlights. How you know that play? is just, we'll use that for however long we can because that play was just so great, and it really showed how great Adrian Martinez can be with his legs. And I think you know showing a little bit of that brilliance and you know that athleticism. Is good for Husker fans, especially after you know the last couple years. If, from what they've seen at that position, I mean, showing little glimpses of what he was able to do, you know, as that true freshman year when he was you know the man coming in here at quarterback. So I think if he could continue to do that again, they, like I don't know if you want Adrian to continue to be your leading rusher. I know it's you know you could say it's just one big run that kind of attributes to all that, but he he did run the ball pretty well. Besides that, a couple other plays uh overall but it was definitely fun to watch i think fans were pretty excited to see him i think they would like to see him get in the end zone but it was a pretty pretty exciting run bill i'm going to
2: ask you a question what's the most iconic play for adrian martinez in his three years in three games at nebraska you know i guess the better way to ask the question is you know when we're going to edit a highlight reel when adrian martinez's career is done at nebraska we're going to put the best plays at the front what is that play right now
1: the play we just saw this that's weekend. what
2: i thought too to me it's
1: hands down and it's a very similar play that Adrian Martinez has had over the first three years, and that's escapability. Escaping the pocket, eluding tacklers, and scoring. He's done it on 10, 20, 25, 30 yard touchdown runs, and now he's done it on a 71 yard. I mean, to me, the first thing I thought when I saw that was Frost, Missouri, 2001. I have not seen a run like that in 20 years?
2: I'd, I'd say Taylor Martinez. It was very reminiscent of Taylor Martinez in the Big Ten one. Championship game in 2012 because it was kind of a similarly developing play. The blitz comes, the quarterback looks like he's going to be stopped about eight yards in the backfield, a scramble left, run right, and then in the open field, just weaving your way through traffic. Almost scored. You know, he didn't get into the end zone, but then again, he's running 70. Well, if you take into effect the amount of yardage he had. Uh, make up for just to get to the line of scrimmage. He ran about 85 yards, Mm -hmm. ran out a little steam on a day in which the temperatures on the field were over 100 degrees. Uh, So I think he got a little fatigued on the run. But, you know, that's the number one play right now for Adrian Martinez over his career. What's number two? See, this is the point that I'm trying to make is when it comes, he's had a good career at Nebraska. He's made big plays, but what are the plays that you will always associate. iconic
1: moments. Yeah. The
2: only other one that quickly comes to my mind, and we had this discussion on Saturday night, was his first career touchdown run against Colorado as a freshman. Mm -hmm. Because we didn't know much about Adrian Martinez at that time. It was about a 45-yard touchdown run, got in the open field, and poof, he was gone. And that's where fans were like, wow, 2 a.m. might be something special.
1: Two weeks ago, I asked you if, we had reached the peak of martinez's potential and this was after the illinois game i mean is this as good as we can see adrian martinez and then over the last two weeks i think he went above and beyond the way he played at illinois and i think he is starting to play like the adrian martinez that we thought husker fans would get after the 2018 season
2: right now adrian martinez in the pro football focus which measures qb rating Uh, completion percentage, yardage, turnovers, all that stuff. He's top ten in college football right now. And I think that speaks to your point, Bill, of how well he's managing a game. He's not making many mistakes, and he's coming up with some explosive plays with his arm and with his legs.
1: Let's get back to Eddie's point. He he did say something. You know, I think Husker fans and coaches would like to see a run game that was more than just Adrian Martinez elusiveness and scrambling from the pocket right now the Huskers are averaging uh, 240 yards per game that's good for 20th in the country so I mean they're a top 20 run team but you take away two 70 plus yard runs by Adrian Martinez in three games and all of a sudden you're averaging under under
3: 200 yards per game. But
2: Eddie isn't that what Scott Frost's offense wants to do? Just go off the big plays and that's how you get a lot of your yardage?
3: That is true but, you know, again, it's like I, uh, we also talked about how some of those are kind of broken plays. You know, I'm not, it's not Adrian Martinez, you know, dropping back and throwing the ball 50, 60, 70 yards downfield. So I think those plays are great, uh, but you definitely need to – I mean, Fordham is is one thing. Obviously, it's an FCS opponent. It's still a good win, and you were able to run the ball. But if you're not going to be able to run the ball against a team like Oklahoma or some of these other teams in the Big Ten, it's going to struggle to open up those big explosive plays down the field that Adrian can make to Samari that we saw multiple times against Buffalo.
1: Kevin, I wanna throw a stat for you real quick.
2: Is it about the run game?
1: It is not about the run game. It's about the fact that Nebraska football is throwing the ball downfield. They have a downfield passing game, which is something they took a lot of heat for last year and in the year prior. They are ninth in the country with 16 yards per completion. That is a statistic. That I never would have imagined for Husker football going into this year because it's, it's an issue that they had.
2: Yeah, last year there was not much of stretching the field and there were cries from the fan base week after week about throw the ball deep, where's Omar Manning, give me more Xavier Betts. And, you know, your numbers get a little bit inflated and skewed when you have a smaller sample size. They played three games. And also, what aids the 16 yard per completion statistic is the fact that they had two go for 68 yards against Buffalo. Yeah,
1: but that's I'm not not trying. in the past. Those, I'm not, not trying to poo-poo ability. your
2: numbers, Bill, but <laughs> you have, I'm not good at math, but I know that that's over 150 yards it's in two plays. It's
1: 136.
2: Whatever. See, I told you, I'm not good at math.
1: <laughs> okay, so, well, you, you bring up a good point. Let's talk about that. They are only three games through the season, so Nebraska's 2-1. and one. A lot of Nebraska fans would have expected, hoped for, three and oh they're two and one they beat a buffalo team that might wind up in a bowl game at the end of the year
2: no they'll be in a bowl game that's a good enough team they're going to play a max schedule arguably
1: the three easiest games of the year so through the three first three games of the year what has impressed you the most about nebraska
2: what's impressed me the most about nebraska is the defense and that is no surprise it's a veteran group and it's uh a a unit that is a little bit more advanced in their terminology and their comfortability and schematically they're able to do a little bit more you're seeing a little bit more variation with the guys up front which allows the linebackers to move a little bit freer and we've seen cornerback blitzes we've seen more blitzes off of the edge so that's what impressing has impressed me the most so far is that the defense has been as good as i expected them to be and they're looking like they're a little bit more versatile than I thought they would be.
1: And they might be led by a sophomore linebacker from Lincoln North Star, Luke Reimer, who uh, just happened to win Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year. Here's the Huskers talking about the defense today. Going out there and just kind of setting the tone for the game.
0: um, I I always like going out first. It just like, it kind of calms me a little bit nerve-wise too, so I don't have to wait another five minutes or however long the offensive possession is before I get to go play, so
4: it's good. Uh, I trust the defense. you know, we talk about trying to score at the end of the first half and getting the ball back in the second half. And um, I think uh, the wind was blowing; we could kick it through the end zone. And we wanted to put the defense out there and have the possession in the second half. And um, that probably won't always be that way, but the first couple of weeks we felt like that was the right decision. So,
0: Sacks is definitely the the not the end-all, be-all stat. Um, there's a lot more that goes into getting pressure on the quarterback, making them uncomfortable, um, making them make bad throws, um, and so. Uh, yeah, we definitely like to get home more, get sacks. Um, but I think we're doing a good job just as far as pressure-wise um, and, and really rushing as a unit. Uh, we shouldn't give up any points. I mean, that's kind of where I'm at. Uh, shutout's to goal. Past two games should have been a shutout. Um, just little things here and there. Guys not being focused in, locked in, missing little details or trying to trying to do more than what they're supposed to do. And, you know, they pop out of a gap or they miss a guy in the coverage in the back end. So... Uh, but I mean, yeah, that's our standard. Every game's a shutout. No points given up. I feel like I've gotten a lot better from week one, week two to week three. Um, and it's just like, um, I feel like I've put a lot more emphasis on finishing with my tackles and stuff. I had a couple missed tackles those first two games. And I really wanted to clean up uh, Buffalo and just kind of build on what I did at Buffalo to going on for the, through the season.
1: Eddie, before I get to you on your first impressions, I want to go to Kevin just quickly on uh, the first part of those sound bites, which was Scott Frost choosing to defer and take the ball in the second half, something we haven't seen a whole lot of.
2: Something wise for Scott Frost,
1: in my opinion. One,
2: because the strength of the team right now is the defense, so they're on the field first and they can set the tone. And then secondly, that allows your offense to maybe watch the game and settle down a little bit. Sometimes you run out of the tunnel and you're pretty turned up. You've got the crowd yelling, mm-hmm. you've got the emotions running high because you're at home. Well let those guys calm down and let the emotional crazies, the defense let them go out there and just run around like gangbusters.
1: All right, Eddie, Nebraska's two and one through
3: three games, the most impressive thing you've seen so far. Uh, obviously the defense is I think is is number one, but I, I'm also impressed by how they've been able to. Kind of bounce back with a lot of the injuries that they've had. They've had a lot of guys with uh, step up with that next man up mentality, which I know they've touched on a lot over here the la- over the last week and today at the press conference. Uh, a lot of guys went down, especially it was hot in Buffalo. You know, guys like Austin Allen go down. Omar Manning wasn't in. Oliver Martin's still not in. Caleb Tanner was slow to get up a couple different times, but they had a lot of different guys step in and really play well. So I think that. You know, that bodes pretty well when you, you know, pretty happy when you got a lot of depth like that and you got a lot of guys that can come in and and still make an impact on the game without your star players being there.
2: What about you, Bill? Most impressive portion of the Huskers this
3: year? Yeah, and
1: I won't elaborate too much on it because we've talked about it at at length this podcast, but it's Adrian Martinez. And I think if you take away the the scoop and score against Illinois, uh, he's been all-conference caliber. I think he's played excellent. I think he's a team leader. Um, and I think you can see it, you know, in his post-game comments and in his Monday press conferences, that that this is a player who who knows what he's what he's good at, knows where he wants to grow, uh, and who has control of this team.
2: I'm telling you, he's he's been walking around
1: with the
2: bouncing a step all the way back to fall camp.
1: I mean, uh, quiet confidence.
2: Yes, and, and I think people are not cocky, are, just confident. yeah. People are seeing week by week he. he's just a really good dude remember what he said a week ago about being able to take the picture with the boys and girls club of lincoln you know he is just totally immersed Mm -hmm. in nebraska football right now and you're just seeing a mature uh leadership-minded adrian martinez that is really performing well on the field and think about a year ago there was a quarterback controversy martinez Luke McCaffrey, didn't know. You had so many people calling for Luke McCaffrey to get more action. Martinez was demoted at one point. I mean, this is an incredible story in terms of mental fortitude and also just cherishing the moment. And that's what I think a lot of folks are seeing out of Adrian so far this season is that he is really embracing the role, embracing the moment, and he is just all in on Nebraska football.
1: Okay, we talked about the good. Let's talk about the bad. What has disappointed you the most through three games?
2: This is going to be interesting because my answer, because it wouldn't have been the case one week ago, but now we have a bigger sample size, three games, the run game, specifically the running backs. Marquis Step was very good against Fordham, but that was against Fordham. And if you remove some of those plays, which I don't think that's fair to do, overall I just don't get the sense that this running game is as dominant as it should be against the three weakest opponents on the schedule. I think the run total should be higher. I think that they should have more success running between the tackles against Illinois, Fordham, and Buffalo, and it's a cause for concern because we know the Big Ten is a black and blue league, and you must be able to run the football up and down the field, north and south, not horizontally. When you try to run horizontally, you can get into trouble, and the Huskers haven't proven That they are a strong north and south team to this point in my opinion.
1: I think you saw a few good things from Gabe Irvin in the second half but but I agree with you the run game has as a whole has has been disappointing. Maybe
2: it's unfair for me to put that on Marquis Step, Gabe Irvin, Sevian Morrison, Marvin Scott III. Maybe I guess the bigger complaint for me should be on the offensive line that they are not getting enough push off of the ball that allows Nebraska to run more successfully between the tackles. You know you mentioned the rushing stats against Buffalo and how Adrian really helped those numbers grow. If you take Adrian and Samari Torrey out of the equation in terms of the rushing totals of the backs that got to carry the football last Saturday against Buffalo, they averaged just over three yards per carry. Which isn't good enough. It's not good enough. It should be five against a MAC opponent. You know, if it's 3.5 against Iowa, Wisconsin, some of the elite defenses in the Big Ten, you could maybe be okay with that number. But against Buffalo, that that number should be five-plus.
1: Iowa team that's now ranked
3: fifth in the country. Wow. Eddie, your biggest disappointment so far this season? I think it's the run game, too, and I think they do need to work on getting some more explosive plays worked into that game, and that's only going to happen, like I said a little earlier, when you get the run game going. I think something that we saw, the defense was on the field a lot against Buffalo, and they played great, but I think – you know, coming up here when your your schedule gets a lot tougher. We talked about how this these first three games were the weakest part of the schedule. Going up, you know, on the road at Oklahoma, I don't think you want as good as the defense is playing. I don't think you want the defense out there as much as they were out there against Buffalo because at some point, good teams like that, especially with a guy like Spencer Rattler at quarterback, they're going to start to gas you. So, running backs and the offense as a whole need to start getting some more going, staying on the field a little longer, and putting points up on the board.
2: If I say run game, Eddie says run game, you have to say special teams, right?
3: Well, I, you know, I, I
1: chose a, I chose a player for, for you know, the most positive thing like that this. I've seen in the first three games. I think if we, I want to go the most disappointing thing, I'm going to choose another player. Yeah, go. And this says nothing about his potential, but I think Cam Taylor Britt has underperformed. Ooh, the first that's three a good answer. Year. You know, one of the things about CTV is they don't throw his way a whole lot, which that says that you're playing good because the guy that you're covering isn't open but I think when you look at the punt return game we're not talking about one game we're not talking about two games we're talking about three straight games where there has been an issue while Cam Taylor Brent has been trying to return the ball Scott Frost has repeatedly said that he has confidence in, in him and I I think he'll probably be back there against Oklahoma and there's a big part of me that's okay with that but when you are a team captain And when you have the athletic ability that he clearly has, you cannot have three straight games with an issue in the punt return game. The first game against Illinois, bizarre. I don't know how that can happen. The second game, funky bounce, but you gotta get out of the way. The third game, something again that most people learn at the high school level, you gotta scream when you're catching the the ball as a fair catch.
2: What was your call in high school? I was Peter. Pe- okay. I mean, uh,
1: I was I never didn't... the one catching. Yeah. Well, I was I, usually the
2: one. <laughs> I didn't know if you had a different – like, we were Peter also. And that's, you know, for those that aren't aware, usually that's the call from the punt returner to say, get away. We're going to let it bounce and let it roll. And so, Peter is the commonly used term. And, and that's – though he is not the one that touched the football on the punt return, the Buffalo recovery. No, it
1: was it was Gifford.
2: But it's, it's Cam, Taylor, Britt, or the punt returner's responsibility to say it loudly, to say it early – to say it definitively, so you're you're the captain of the ship, get everybody away.
1: Now, this is a player that I don't think has a down year. I, I do think he writes the ship, whether it's on special teams or whether it's dominating defensive performances. But if we're just going with disappointing, disappointment over the first three games, I think it's Cam Taylor.
2: Yeah, he tried to jump a route, too, on Saturday in the second half. Buffalo is that, a good point. Buffalo is backed up. I think it was know.
1: third and seven, third and eight. He could have stopped them. At
2: third four. down, and they just ran a little out route. With the shadows of the end zone right behind the quarterback, Cam went for the pick. He missed it, and Buffalo ends up getting not only the first down, but then they got some space away from the goal line. So they were able to operate. They didn't score on the drive, Uh, but still, you know, it was an opportunity for Cam Taylor Britt to make a safe play, just stop them, let them catch it, stop them in front of the sticks. Instead, he went for the big one. He missed the pick, didn't get the greatest of jumps on the ball, and Buffalo got to extend that drive.
1: Speaking of Cam Taylor-Britt, I think if Nebraska beats Oklahoma, this player is going to have to have the game of his life, and it's Cam Taylor-Britt.
0: Spencer, he's obviously an incredible talent. Uh, guy can throw it all over the field. He has uh, great legs, great arm, and uh, he's one of the top top players in in the game. You know,
4: pretty simple he can make every throw uh, really nifty they do a great job coaching their quarterbacks and they got some super talented ones and uh, he's surrounded by really good o-line and a lot of uh, weapons on the perimeter and in the backfield so um, it's a formidable opponent for sure so growing up I, I grew up in Kansas so I didn't know my like I really
0: didn't know much about Nebraska Oklahoma growing up because they were out of the conference uh, by the time I really started watching college football so but like going back like especially now and looking back like it was the biggest rivalry like, in college football, so it's really good to go out there and kind of continue it a little bit. A lot, a lot that goes into the game, a lot um, kind of going into the, um, you know, the history of it. Um, but yeah, for us, it's, it's another game. Um, it's another opponent, and we're going to prepare just like anyone else. Something that's been in the back of our heads all year. Uh, big game, obviously, uh, and we're looking forward to having a good week of practice you know, to get ready for it.
4: I remember coming to a bunch of them, driving from O'Neal or being here in Lincoln or driving from a Cook to come see the games and um, going to the games when I was a little boy around Thanksgiving was a special deal. So I've seen a lot of them, been a part of a lot of them.
0: It doesn't matter who you're playing; you have to prepare the same, whoever your opponent is. So how I prepared for Buffalo, I'm going to prepare for Oklahoma. It doesn't matter. Like. You have to just have your habits and just let your habits take over. It means a tremendous amount to the fans and to us as players to be a part of this rivalry. Um, it's the stuff I, I grew up wanting to be a part of. Simple as that. I, I'm from California, and, and I knew about the Oklahoma-Nebraska rivalry. Uh, it's big, and I'm really excited to be finally, finally be a part of it.
1: 87th all time meeting between Nebraska and Oklahoma. This one, of course, honoring the game of the century Nebraska versus Oklahoma 1971. The last time Nebraska played Oklahoma was 11 years ago in the Big 12 championship.
2: Yeah, and so uh, you got to give some credit to the Nebraska players who spoke about this rivalry, quite frankly. How much do they really know about this series?
1: No, the last time Nebraska played Oklahoma, a lot of these players.
2: Adrian Martinez were, was 10 years old. Yeah. So you really have to be a college football junkie and really study the history of either Nebraska or Oklahoma or just college football as a whole to really understand what's going on. So if Scott Frost and his coaching staff wants to play this up and wants these players to truly, truly understand what this means to the fan base, you'll have to have Jason Peter talk. You'll have to have Jay Foreman talk. Bring in Tom Rood. Go through the list of guys who – Battled against the Sooners. Bring in Johnny Rogers. Let them talk. Let them illustrate not only what those games were like, but when they were played. Do, do these players, current players, even know that the game was on Thanksgiving? I'm not so sure because it's been such a long time. And quite frankly, the iconic moments in this series' history, some of the players probably don't know. So there needs to be a voice or some voices to instruct them and inform them. But I do think that they understand that this is a big game, there is a rich history, but to what depth? Not so sure on that. A
1: lot of the questions at Monday's press conference to Scott Frost, to all of the players, were geared toward the tradition of Oklahoma and how big of a game is this and what do you remember about it? Um, And a lot of the players, as you just heard, uh, from Martinez to Reimer to, to even Ben Stilley, you know, they didn't know a whole lot about it. And I'm not... I don't mean to say that they had a, a laissez faire attitude about it. But for them, to me, the impression I got is that this is another game against the number three team in the country. This is not another game in the Nebraska Oklahoma rivalry, which I'm not sure if that's such a bad thing. Do you need to put that mentally on the players?
2: They know. I mean they you know,
1: know it's but-
2: it's a big noon kickoff on Fox, it's national T V and there's gonna be, you know, You got to believe that because it's big noon uh, on Fox that there's going to be additional interviews done where they sit the players down and they talk about this rivalry and they're going to be talking to Scott Frost in addition to his regularly scheduled press conferences. So there's going to be an increased media attention on this game, not only on game day, but throughout the week. So they are going to know and they're going to get the sense of how big of a game this is, not only for these fan bases, but also across college football. It's going to be a day of nostalgia on Saturday. And you use the phrase laissez-faire from the players. I'm just going to call it honest. You know, Luke Reimer saying, yeah, I grew up in Kansas and I wasn't totally aware of this. Ben Stilley was pretty honest about, yeah, he knows, but this is just the next opponent. Because when it comes down to it, this is Nebraska getting ready for perhaps their toughest opponent of the entire season. So they really can't get too caught up in everything else surrounding the game and that's one thing that i think scott frost prides himself on as a coach of preparation that the phrase we hear every week and it's become the new buzzwords in college football is a nameless faceless opponent and so yeah it's oklahoma and they're they've got studs all over the field they are truly just trying to look at what can we do how can we game plan to try to have a leg up on this team and how do we keep our boys focused?
1: Eddie, I want to go to you for just a little bit of perspective, honestly. You're a 20-something who didn't grow up in Nebraska. What does the Nebraska-Oklahoma rivalry
3: mean to you? What did you know about it growing up as a, as a kid in South Florida? Again, similar, I mean, me, me and Adrian, we aren't far off from, e- from, the, from each other's age. And I, growing up, I didn't know much about it. My dad's a big college football buff kind of how i got into you know the sports world in general was a lot thanks to him but yeah i was told about it but it wasn't anything that i grew up knowing and again we this game hasn't been played in a long time now so for me growing up in my era of of when i grew up it's tough nobody you know you don't really associate nebraska and oklahoma I, i i knew about all the i grew up a university of miami fan i knew about those battles you know, with the Huskers a couple times. But besides that, you, have, you know, it's tough when you don't grow up in that in that era. So I see where they're coming from, but I think it's kind of good the way that they're taking it because I think it is a super big game, and I don't think you want to get caught up in too much of all the other stuff. They just want to go out there, focus on what they what they can control and really, you know, hone in to try, try and upset Oklahoma in a big game. It's an interesting perspective because,
1: I mean, you know, Eddie, you're older than the players, but a uh, similar age and um – That's the type of mentality that I think a lot of them have, is they just, they they don't really, they get it, but do they understand it?
2: Maybe one of the greatest outcomes of this game being played in 2021 is education. That with everything that's gonna be produced and broadcasted, referencing the game of the century, referencing the conference championship battles that Nebraska and Oklahoma had, referencing playing on Thanksgiving and how that's what a lot of college football fans did on that day is that there is an entire generation that's going to learn Mm -hmm. that what Auburn, Alabama is right now used to be Nebraska, Oklahoma. I don't even know if they're on the same scale. Maybe it's tipped a little bit differently in favor of the significance of Nebraska and Oklahoma from the 1970s and the 1980s. So I think...
1: I mean, that game was the precursor to the national championship. So many times the team that won that game played for a national title.
2: Right, right. And so maybe
1: the 80s, 70s and 80s versions of so, so maybe, football. Perhaps,
2: perhaps the teens, the 20s, and some of the early 30s, those folks that like college football now are going to learn something. And they're also going to learn that back in the day they've heard about it, that Nebraska was good. They have five national championships. Well, it's not going to hurt to see that on display, especially considering the struggles Nebraska has had over the past decade.
1: Oklahoma beat Western Carolina 76-0 last week. They did have a tough game against Tulane week one, 140-35. Poy Blake, Kevin, does Nebraska have a chance?
2: Oh, of course they have a chance. It's college football. Oklahoma last year went up to Manhattan and got beat by Kansas State. And I liken this game to Nebraska playing at Ohio State. What year was it? Four years ago, Ohio State had the black uniforms the Huskers had the lead at halftime. Ohio State was highly ranked. That you talking about
1: Adrian Martinez's freshman year?
2: Yes. Mm. They played him very tough. I'm not saying that there's similar circumstances, but it's not out of the realm of possibility that Nebraska goes on the road and hangs with a national championship contender. It's happened before. But I think a lot of fans have been scarred by these big stage games. You think of Mike Riley at Ohio State. You think of Bo Pelini at Wisconsin, there have been multiple opportunities over the past 10 years for Nebraska to go and put themselves back on the national map and prove that they are relevant again. But a lot of the results of those games have been 62-3, to 56-10. to And so there is just an aching of the heart for some of these fans that would love to see Nebraska upset Oklahoma, but I think so few people are even giving Nebraska a chance some of them aren't even giving Nebraska a chance to be competitive against Oklahoma. And I think a lot of that mentality isn't so much based on this year's team for Nebraska, but just the stage mm-hmm. and how Nebraska has performed in these big games in recent years.
1: The spread for Nebraska-Oklahoma currently at 22 points, which from the national perspective I get, from the local perspective I think that's that's high. And I thought reason, it was very big. I think the reason Nebraska has a chance is what you alluded to in the most impressive part about this team, and it's the way the defense is played.
2: But they're going up against a Heisman candidate and Spencer Rattler, and they're going against an offense that just scored 76 points in a game.
1: They this just played an offense that just scored 69, oh, and they held them three.
2: Well, they were playing Wagner.
1: They were playing Western Carolina. Yeah, you could make that <laughs>
2: argument. Uh, but this might be the most impressive offense that Nebraska faces, and that's where this defense, to have a chance, this defense has to play lights out. And I wouldn't put it past them. If they can bring a lot of pressure and they can get Spencer Rattler rattled, no pun intended. If You
1: meant, you, you intended it.
2: I, I could have used a different word, yes, <laughs> sure. But my thesaurus off the top of my head isn't that deep, so we'll go with that word. If they can make him uncomfortable, perhaps they get a couple of turnovers. And this is a game that if Nebraska has zero takeaways, it's going to be a long day in Norman. But if they can get Oklahoma to cough the ball up a few times.
1: They've been ball hawks this year.
2: They have. They've only forced one tur- one fumble in, in three games, which to me is a little bit surprising.
1: Four interceptions, one fumble.
2: Right. The, the fumble is low. But, again, if they can create a takeaway, if they get a takeaway, be opportunistic on offense after getting the ball, they will have a chance. I, I'm like you. I think that the 22-point spread for me was a little bit big. I thought it would be more of a two-touchdown, somewhere in that 14 to 18 range. Mm -hmm. And it has come down from 22.
1: Eddie, we talked about what the defense needs to do. What do you think the offense needs to do to have a
3: chance against Oklahoma? I think the offensive line needs to protect Adrian, give him a little more time to throw the football. I think they also need to hopefully, we learned today that nobody has been ruled out, but I think having some guys back uh, on the offensive side like Austin Allen, and omar manning and xavier bets will be huge for them so without those guys i think it's definitely going to be a little tough but yeah offensive line giving adrian some more time and again opening holes up for the running game so if those running backs whether it's step or or morrison or irvin whoever it is they need to get the ball moving again getting some more yards per carry then i think that's going to help adrian out lessen his load a little bit Gets, and I know Frost has talked about lessening his load a little bit as well in these press conferences, giving him less to think about and worry about and put some of that load onto other guys on the field. You know what else they need to do?
2: They need to run trick plays, and they need to show something that they haven't Flash done. Flash
1: 41 black reverse?
2: Come out <laughs> Stunts in the oop-the-oop. Show something that they've never seen on tape out of Nebraska before. And plus, if you start to say, we're, we're going to get pretty creative and wild here, does that make practice more fun or less fun? More fun. And it's, again, going back to that Ohio State game four years ago, they planned on kicking that onside kick before the game. They, they, they decided to do that on Monday. <laughs> I
1: don't think anybody wants to relive that memory.
2: It was, a poor, it was poor execution. But they knew they were going to do it. Yeah. And when your coach says, you know what, we're going to go do this. Yeah, it's going to liven you up a little bit. It's going to make practice a little bit more engaging. And then you're probably going to come to the practice field saying, well, what do we got up our sleeve today? Let's go. Let's, let's try to do something and, and catch them off guard. It would only help if you just try to do the same things you've done against Illinois, Fordham, and Buffalo, against Oklahoma, there's not a whole lot there that says yeah this is going to work against an elite team that might be in the college football playoff this year but if you say listen we're going to go off of some of our core beliefs some of our fundamental things that we do we're going to we're not going to abandon them because that's that's truly what we believe but we're also going to add in this that and the other now we got something here we're going to try to keep them on their heels and sometimes you just have to get a little bit outside of your comfort zone and you got to get a little bit creative. And I got to believe that Scott Frost is a creative coach. He showed it at UCF. But for whatever reason, in 2020 and 2021, so far Nebraska's playbook has been pretty vanilla.
1: Maybe on purpose.
2: For this game. That's my point. If you're waiting, what are you waiting for? These are the games in which you throw it out there.
1: You know, I think my one take would be that that sometimes the best defense is elongated offense. If you're playing an Oklahoma team that's averaging almost 60 points a game, an offense steered by Lincoln Riley and Spencer Rattler, what do you want to do? You want to eat clock. In order to eat clock, you have to run the ball. I don't know if I have confidence in Nebraska running the ball with the way the offensive line has performed, but if, if they can find that second gear, if they can get some push off the line of scrimmage, and if they can chew up, have, you know, maybe a a 35 to 25, a 40 to 20 time of possession, something like that. That's where I think Nebraska has a chance. Limit the amount of times Oklahoma gets the ball.
2: That's interesting. You know, Scott Frost, he likes a game where he can run 90 plays. I know. But a lot of times when he's running 90 plays, it's at a high tempo and you're probably getting more drives than what you're speaking to. You want 90 plays, but in Eight drives. That's not going to happen against Oklahoma. But I get the the reasoning behind it because if you're able to do that, just grind it out, wear them down, limit the Oklahoma touches that they get on offense. That's not
1: all you do, but you know it goes back to that that core value of this team, and that's establishing the run game, something they haven't done through the first three games. Right. Okay. You don't think it's 22 points, but what do you think happens?
2: I think Nebraska's competitive for the first half. I think that Oklahoma flexes its muscle in the second half. And um... as I've said many times before, I don't always go off of the final score to gauge a game. I'm going to go off of my eyes. What does it look like? And I think that Nebraska might want to do that on Sunday too. You know, did they make progress? There is a way in which no progress is made in that game, and it's called getting blown out by 40-plus points. Can you remain competitive? Can your offensive line get a better push? Can your defense come up with a few takeaways? Because up next is where it really counts. They're going to go to Michigan State, and then the Big Ten schedule is going to hit. Michigan State is having a pretty good start to the season. Now, they have a huge game this Saturday up against Miami. But, again, you don't want to go into that game getting beat and saying, oof, it, it was a pretty poor showing. Even if you lose, try to have some elements within the game of football that you feel like there was progress made, there was momentum created and that some of the players individually showed that they took a big step
3: forward. Eddie? I agree, I think you just wanna, you just wanna see them be competitive. I don't I don't think, again, I, I do agree that Oklahoma, I think is gonna show off what they got. You know, number three ranked team in the country, they got a ton of talent, ton of NFL talent on that roster. I think they're gonna come out with a strong second half, but as long as Nebraska can show that they can compete. And again, like Kevin said, don't get blown out by 50 or 40 points. I think that's a positive. But I do think Oklahoma is going to come out strong in the in the second half as well, and it's going to be tough to stop uh, Spencer Rattler if he gets going.
1: You know, I think Scott Frost said <clears throat> after the Illinois game, you know, it's the same movie that we've seen over and over again. Well, it's another big game. Can Nebraska change the script? Can they flip the script? Can this not be 2019 Ohio State? Can this not be – 2012 wisconsin big 10 championship i don't know if it's the case but i think it is i don't think nebraska wins but i think this is close and i think it's within two scores you said there it is glass half hey, full I guy coming the, back the, the kool-aid's not there yet but it's definitely half full and i think you said it's close in the first half i think it's close through three quarters i think nebraska keeps this within 10 i'm not i don't think they win but I think it's, you know, 41-35, 38-30, some, somewhere around that.
2: So you're predicting progress.
1: I'm predicting progress. I'm, I'm predicting film review on Sunday shows a Nebraska team that is performing better, consistently getting better. They might even play their best game of the year and still lose by, by 10 or 12. But, yeah, I think there's progress.
2: That's a really good point. They could play their best game of the year and still lose, and that – speaks less about Nebraska, speaks more about how talented Oklahoma is, and they have speed for days, and it's not just at a few positions. How many big-time, quote-unquote, games has Scott Frost coached in at Nebraska? What would you put the number at, three? Three or four, yeah. couple against Ohio State? I'm not even sure what the third one would be.
1: Wisconsin and Iowa. But are th-
2: those aren't at the is scale of this one. Left?
1: No, I mean, yeah, okay, so, so outside of your your – against Ohio State right this is yeah this is the biggest game of, of Scott Frost maybe game day when game day was here two years ago right. outside of that this is the biggest game he's had in Nebraska
2: so Scott Frost has coached in how many games at Nebraska he's he's over 30 mid-30s
1: 35 but this is only his third
2: premier game by our unscientific way of determining a big game his third premier game in 35 games so let's give him a chance You never know. Sometimes coaches, when they get a huge stage, they are on point. They know how to motivate. They know how to scheme. He did it at UCF. So maybe there's something in the Scott Frost Creativity Bank and the Scott Frost Playbook that could give Nebraska a chance to really take this opportunity and run with it.
1: The movie is Any Given Sunday. Maybe this one is Any Given Saturday. The game is at 11 a.m. It's on Fox. Gus Johnson, Joe Klatt on the call. Nebraska versus number three, Oklahoma.
0: The century is in the 60s, right? Or 70s? 71. See? So, shows you how much I know. You've been listening to the End Report Podcast from 1011 Now. Rogers. Takes the ball at the 30. He's hit and got away. Back up field at the 35 to the 40. He's to the 45. He's to the 50 to the 45. To the 40 to the 35. To the 20. To the 10. He's all the way home. Subscribe and leave a ratings on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you download your podcast. Jet Rodgers just tore
2: them loose from their shoes. For more Husker coverage throughout the week, watch 1011 Now Sports and download the 1011 Now app.